Welcome to the Topeka First Assembly podcast. We hope this message serves as an encouragement to you. If you would like to support us financially, you can do so online at www.topekafirst.com giving. Enjoy the podcast. I'm honored, and at the same time, I was terrified. I didn't know what all stories she was. We started working together at Wheat State almost a decade ago, and uh, I have... I've made a few mistakes in 10 years, a few things that I've learned from, as I'm sure many of you guys have as well, too. And uh, most of those have, uh, have it's bridge under the water, and it's, it's long gone down the river now, so uh, hopefully it can't come back to, to get me too much. Let me uh, further introduce myself for, for just a couple of minutes, as, as uh, I don't know many of you have had not had opportunity uh, to introduce myself previously. Uh, my wife, Julie, and I have been married for almost 15 years. Years. Uh, prior to working at the network office, as as uh, Pastor Jenna shared, we pastored in a small community just west of Wichita called Kingman for eight and a half years, and then we transitioned out of pastoring in that local church, moved to a residential center uh, where we were the executive directors of an adolescent girls teen challenge, and uh, loved doing that for about three years, and then the, the Lord told us to take a step of faith. We stepped down and had no idea what we were doing, and then within a month or so, uh, the Lord opened up a door and said, as you were faithful in stepping forward, now let me uh, show you the door to walk through. And it was uh, then uh, in September of last year, excuse me, September of 2019, that uh, Julie and I stepped into working at the network office where I'm the executive assistant to Superintendent Terry Yancey. Uh, and it's a privilege and an honor to be able to do that. You guys met Pastor Terry uh, in January when he was here at the church. And so, uh, again, on his behalf, I uh, want to say thank you and a warm greeting from him as he is pastoring in Chanute today uh, and uh, and leading them. And so uh, I am here and a, and a privilege and an honor while Pastor Mike uh, is is not in the pulpit. Uh, I, I get to hold a microphone and uh, privilege, privilege to do so. Uh, as we get started, I would love if we could uh, begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, in this place and among these people and, and in my heart, Lord, it is our desire that we would have ears that are softened. Father, that we would have a heart that is softened. Lord, a, a neck that is softened. Lord, allow us not to, to have stubborn hearts or prideful ears, Lord, that, that shut you out. God, it is our desire that as we hear the word today, that we would be changed by it because it is your words to us, Father. God, do what only you can do in this place. Anoint me, God, just as a vessel, Lord, that you may be heard, that you may be felt, that in this place your name is the one that is lifted up. God, thank you for what you are already doing in my heart and that you are doing in ours as we hear this message from your word today. You're a good king. Help us to love you and trust you more. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. And all of God's people who agreed join together by saying... Amen. Amen. There's a, uh, a TV show that I haven't watched for a couple years, but it is still on. And perhaps you have uh, seen or heard of this show. It is a singing competition. It is called The Voice. 
And the premise of The Voice is it is, well, a singing competition, but it starts with this interesting idea that instead of just the individuals who are coming to sing, competing, it actually is the coaches who would be teaching that singer. They have to compete to get that singer to be on their team. So it's this blind audition where the, the coaches all have their back turned and the singer starts singing, and if they say, I want that person to be on my team, then they hit a red button and they turn around and, and they're like, and then if more than one of the four coaches says, oh, I like the voice that I hear, and they turn around, then the coaches then compete saying, you should be on my team because, and not their team because I'm better than, because, and it goes on where the coaches are competing for the, for in this case, the singer. These conflicting or competing coaches bring us to an interesting thing because I don't think it is just on the TV show, but I believe it is in our life as well that there are voices that are speaking that are saying, no, listen to me, and in reality they are leading us in multiple different directions, going about it in different styles for different purposes, and we have to determine which coach am I going to go with. Who is going to be the one who's going to feed into my life that's going to help me with all of my direction, directionality? It's with that that I want us to look at a young king named Rehoboam. If you are familiar with, with the scriptures, or, or perhaps this is newer to you, and you can turn to 1 Kings chapter 12, where we're going to be spending a chunk of our time to, to read his backstory. But let me give even some context before that. The nation of Israel, as we read in the Old Testament, had a theocracy. That is, God was leading them. But the people of Israel said, we no longer desire this God-led nation. Instead, we want a king like some of the other nations. And so they elected Saul as their king. And after Saul came David as the king. And then it started something special with David because there wasn't a, a, a direct link between Saul and David as far as father and son and those sort of things. But it started with David that, that at that point that, that God said, your kids and the kids after you, that it will be this kingdom, this covenant that will go on and on. And so after David, his son Solomon took over the throne and then one of the sons of Solomon Rehoboam is now getting ready to take over the throne because his father Solomon has died and and if it also bears witness to this point Solomon is the individual who we understand as the the individual who wrote down the book of Proverbs he was considered the wisest man in all of the world and Rehoboam grew up in that household but needless to say, in the end of Solomon's life, he began to detour from God, and he began to listen to other voices, and Rehoboam, uh, not, did he, not only did he have a good foundation, but he started to take these same steps as his father, and so he had in his ear conflicting coaches of, am I going to go the way of the, Lo the, the, way of the Lord, or am I going to go in another direction, much as my father went at the end of his lifetime? And here it is in 1 Kings chapter 12 that we're going to read about Rehoboam and what he did. And we're going to spend a chunk of time reading a number of these verses. And so you can either read along with me, but uh, we will be.
be in 1 Kings chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, and it says this, Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all the Israelites there had gone there to make him king. When Jeroboam, son of Nebat, now even though they rhyme, Rehoboam and Jeroboam are two different individuals, Jeroboam actually is an individual that we'll read more about as we continue on here, but he's uh, going to be able, he's competing for the kingship with Rehoboam, but we're focusing again on Rehoboam. When Jeroboam, son of Nebat, heard this, he was still in Egypt where he had fled from King Solomon. He returned from Egypt. So they sent, that would be the people sent for Jeroboam, and, and he went with the whole assembly of Israel, went to Rehoboam and asked him and said to him, Your father put a heavy yoke on us. Now lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke he put on us, and we will serve you. Rehoboam answered, Go away for three days. And then come back to me. So the people went away. Then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who served his father Solomon during his lifetime. Just a quick caveat as we look at this idea. Solomon, the wisest man who God gave all of this wisdom, because when Solomon, Solomon became king, God said to him, what is it that you desire? And Solomon said, I desire wisdom to govern these people. And God said, that's the greatest thing you could have asked for. And so not only will I give you wisdom, but I will give you all of these other things that you could have asked for, but you didn't. I will give you that as well. But Solomon, it says that there were elders or, or advisors or individuals who lived with Solomon who were uh, not just lived with him, but had coaching, had opportunity to feed into what Solomon was doing. And so Rehoboam, the son, is hearing from the wisest king on earth's advisors and elders and trusted friends, and he's hearing from them. And he says this to the elders. He says, how would you advise me to answer these people? Verse 7, they replied, if today, you, uh, if today you will be a servant to these people and serve them and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your servants. Rehoboam, however, it says in verse 8, he rejected the advice of the elders gave him and, and consulted the young men who had grown up with him and were serving him. And he asked them, the young men, what is your advice? How would we answer these people who say, lighten the, the loke? The, the yoke that your fathers put on us. The young men who had grown up with him replied, Tell these people who have said to you, Your father put a heavy yoke on us, and but make our yoke lighter. Tell them, my, my little finger is thicker than my father's waist. My father laid a heavy yoke on you, and I will make it even heavier. My father scour scourged you with whips, and I will scourge you with scorpions. In essence, the young men that, saw, that, uh, that Rehoboam had grown up with, they're giving conflicting advice to what the elders and Solomon had given. And so we have this, this coaching conflict where we have young Rehoboam, who's just taken over for his father, has this coaching conflict of which coach is he going to go with? Now, you and I may never be on The Voice. Thankfully, I didn't have a microphone during worship. I'm going to leave that to the worship team. You don't want to know what my voice is. And you, and you and I may never be in the position where we are going to be the king of a nation. 
But I can wholeheartedly tell you that you and I face every day and are facing right now where we have to come up with what voices will I listen to because there are conflicting voices who are telling me to go in different ways and where will I find the right answers? Where will I determine if I go left or if I go right? So these young men give the advice of saying, make it harder on these individuals that if your father did X, we're going to do X multiplied. We're going we're to make it harder on these individuals that, that as, a, as a young king, you need to show them what's what. And, and you're going to give them the answer that it's going to be harder because you're going to show them that you're the king. Verse 15. So Rehoboam, the king, did not listen to the people, for this turn of events was from the Lord, to fulfill the word that the Lord had spoken to Jeroboam, son of Nebat, through Ahijah the Shiloanite. In essence, if you read back a chapter uh, before this, that uh, because of Solomon and because of his detouring away from listening to the Lord and starting to listen to uh, his many, many wives that he had and and started making these, these poor decisions as a king, it was foretold that Jeroboam, Again, not Rehoboam, the king that we're talking about, but Jeroboam was going to be able to take over part of the nation, but because of the lineage of David and Solomon, that he wasn't going to take over all of the nation, just just most of it. And so what we have here is that the king, Rehoboam, didn't listen to the advice. Instead, he made his own decision to to listen to his, his fellow friends as opposed to listen to the advice of the elders. And in doing so, it is... The the prophecy is fulfilled uh, that Jeroboam is actually going to take away most of the kingdom from Rehoboam. Verse 16 now. When all Israel saw that the king refused to listen to them, they answered the king, What share do we have in David? What part in Jesse's son? To your tents, O Israel, look after your own house Oh, David, this is a a scary thing for a leader to hear when when you have lost the people, when the people seem to be just saying, well, you're going to do your own thing and we're not going to follow you anymore. And the the people of God ended up just saying, well, Rehoboam, if that's the way you're going to lead, you're on your own. You don't have our hearts anymore. We don't feel like we have a portion of this kingdom. So the Israelites went home, verse 17. But as for the Israelites who were living in the towns of Judah, Rehoboam still lived over them. What we find out when we consider the, the history of the, of the nation of Israel, Israel made up of 12 tribes. You have the 10 tribes to the north and the two tribes to the south. And Jeroboam is going to be leading and taking away the 10 tribes to the north. However, Rehoboam, the king that we've been speaking of, uh, who's got these conflicting coaches uh, speaking into his life, he's going to continue to lead the two tribes in the south. And that would be called Judah. And so as As we continue to read on in the Old Testament, if you hear about Israel versus Judah, this is where the separation happens right here because of the conflicting coaches in the life. And and I have to say that that, uh, I don't know that I can tell you what's going to happen in my life in five years or ten years or or even a hundred years down the road of the effects of my life. But I can tell you that if Rehoboam could have had a crystal ball, which again he didn't, to be able to know what was going to happen, don't you think it would have been far more understood, this is a bad decision, 
This is not something that I should be doing, not just because of me, even though that's what the advisors, my friends are telling me to do, but because of what's happening with Israel and how it's splitting the kingdom. There is one of the the tidbits or the nuggets for us to, to garner today is when we start thinking about what the coaches are saying into our lives, what the advisors or the elders are speaking into our lives, is it of benefit purely to me or is it a benefit to the body? Is it a benefit to the kingdom of God? Because by and large, I will tell you that, that, the, that the godly advice is going to be a benefit to the kingdom, not simply a benefit to myself as we see here. So as the Israelites then went home, it says in verse uh, 18, Rehoboam sent out Adoniram, who was in charge of the forced labor. But Israel stoned him to death, and King Rehoboam, however, he managed to get into his chariot and escape to Jerusalem. We're seeing immediate effects of where they're attempting to, to dethrone King Rehoboam, even killing his man. So Israel has been in rebellion, this is verse 19, against the house of David to this day. When all the Israelites heard that Rehoboam had returned, they sent him and called to the assembly and made him king over all of Israel. Only the tribe of Judah remained loyal to the house of David. A long passage of scripture, a chunk, 20 verses that we just read, but it gives us this platform of understanding that Rehoboam had multiple people speaking to him, what decision what he's going to make, and he made this decision where he tore the kingdom apart. And I have to, to ask myself, and I have to wonder, of why did he make that decision? What was it that the young individual individuals who were speaking to him, why was that so uh, captivating that he chose that over the advice of his father's elders? Because the father's elders said to him, they will be your servants. So it was already that he was going to have them serving him as the king. So what is it that he was promised or that he thought he was promised by the young individuals? And, and really what we can come down to in a conclusion is not only that he wanted to have them serving him, but he wanted to be able to have, have power because of it, because of what he was going to lay on them was the uh, with his, instead of finger, it waist, right? And that idea of, of scourging them with whips versus scorpions of saying is I'm going to be able to exact more out of you so that it can continue to lift me up as the king. I'm going to, to waylay you guys so that it can be better for myself as the king, or at least for the throne room, for, for my young friends, advisors, and I. And, and I have to just pause here because, one, it's a tempting choice that you and I have probably been faced with. And if, if we haven't been recently... I believe that the Holy Spirit will begin nudging us that in the moments uh, of, of our future, whether it's this afternoon or the week that comes, of saying, see, you have a choice here where you can have it benefit you and, and that close circle around you, or you can have it benefit the kingdom of God, and, and we're faced with that choice. But see, I, I have to even step back even more and go, but wait a minute. 
Rehoboam was, was raised under Solomon, the wisest man, and the wisest man said this in, in Proverbs chapter 1. You can turn with me over to Proverbs chapter 1, and, and it says this, the Proverbs of Solomon, this is Proverbs 1, 1, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for attaining wisdom and discipline, for understanding words of insight, for acquiring a disciplined and prudent life, for doing what is right and just and fair for giving prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Solomon taught these things to his boy. And as Solomon was teaching these things to his boy and was saying, this, my son, is how you're going to, to live. This is what you need to do. As we continue to read this, it says that these will add to our learning. This will give us guidance. Verse 6, for understanding Proverbs and parables, the wise, the sayings and the riddles of the wise, that Solomon said, this, my son, is the knowledge that you need to have. However, on the contrary, we can see the flip side. Look at Proverbs chapter 1, beginning in verse 10, because beginning in verse 10, we have on the flip side, these other individuals who will come and be the conflicting voice in our lives. My son, if this is verse 10, my son, if sinners entice you, don't give in to them. If they say, come along with us, let's lie and wait for someone's blood. Let's waylay some harmless soul. Let's swallow them alive and like the grave of the, and whole and like those who go down to the pit. We'll get all sorts of valuable things and fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot with us and we will share a common purse. My son, do not go along with them. Do not set your foot on their paths for their feet rush into sin. See, Solomon had already put these words into his life. And I wholeheartedly believe that as you and I face these decisions in our life of, of what do I do? How am I supposed to decide what to do? I believe that God is already speaking these things through the Holy Spirit into our heart of saying, this is what you need to do, and you know what you need to do, even as tempting as it is to do the other because of what it promises. Because as soon as we start making concessions, the world starts making promises. This passage of Scripture actually says that as much as we think we're going to get something out of what the world promises, that the exact opposite is going to be true. It says this in verse 17. Again, Proverbs 1, 17. How useless to spread a net in full view of the birds. These men lie in wait for their own blood. They waylay only themselves. Can you imagine being king over all of Israel and then all of a sudden within a couple of hours, a couple of days, then it goes from 12 tribes to only two? It's exactly what happened here. Why? Because the Lord says this is how things work. And so when you try and make it only better for yourself, it actually hurts yourself because of an inwardness. It doesn't work. Such is the end of all who go after ill-gotten gain. It takes away the lives of those who get it. As we've read these passages of Scripture, it reminds me of a New Testament passage that Paul wrote down in Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 15.33 where he says, Bad company corrupts good character. See, Rehoboam knew these things, but who did, he surrounded, who did he surround himself with? 
Because it says that he rejected the advice of the elders and instead he took the advice of his friends, this conflicting coach of saying, you got to do this, be on my team. And Rehoboam chose poorly. And the consequence was great. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. And, and see how this works out is, is as this was written 2,000 years after what was going on with Rehoboam, I don't want us to, again, say, oh, well, I'm never going to be a king, so I'm not going to face these kind of decisions. What Paul was actually teaching at the church in Corinth was that these compromises that the church, or, or that in that case that the king made, it was creeping into the church. Because here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he's, t- he's talking to the entire church. He's not just saying to the king, and these are decisions that somebody else makes. These are the things that you and I will face as, as Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. What's taking place in Corinth is that there are individuals who are saying the resurrection of the dead isn't going to happen, and therefore eat, drink, and be merry, and do whatever because there isn't a resurrection that is yet to come. And so therefore, if you, if you just give up that truth, well then eat, drink, and be merry because we don't have to worry about this future judgment coming. And so it was saying if you make this compromise of this truth and if you listen to this coach, then you can eat, drink, and be merry and do what you please. And Paul says to them, bad company corrupts good character, church. That if we start compromising on our truth, this is, this is what's going to happen. That our churches, we must hold tightly to the truth. Look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In Beginning in verse 1, Paul says this to the church that I would say is as much the Lord speaking to us at Topeka first as he is to Brian and Julie when we head home to Wichita. This is what he is speaking to us. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. We cannot twist, distort, or compromise our message of the truth. This gospel truth must be held. Paul says, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scripture, that He was buried and He was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures. We hold these gospel truths, and we cannot drop any of these gospel truths where they said, Oh, we don't have to worry about the resurrection of the dead. We don't have to worry about the the return of Christ, because there is no resurrection. Continues on in verse 17. Paul says this, he says, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Like a house of cards or or a train of dominoes, that if we start taking away elements of the gospel, it cannot stand. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you, you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, then we are to be pitied more than all men. Because if we take away this aspect of the gospel or that aspect, then then it begins collapsing. Verse 30 through 34. As for us, 
Paul speaking, he says, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? If, if I die every day, I mean that, that, brothers, just as surely as I glory in you, Jesus Christ, our Lord, if I fought wild beasts in Ephesus for merely human reasons, what have I gained? In the end, what are we doing here? Why are we spending our Sunday mornings? Why are we coming to Sunday night worship? Which, guys, be here tonight. Scripture says, if I am lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. If we are looking for a change in Shawnee County, I would say praise is a great first step. I encourage you, be here with Pastor Michael, be here with with Pastor Jenna and the team tonight of saying, Lord, we're going to lift you up because we believe you will draw all men, draw all people to you so that we can see the change of what you are doing. But Paul says, why would we do any of the things that we're doing if we just take out, pick and choose portions of our gospel because why would we endanger ourselves? Paul was living in a much more dangerous time. But I I would say this, that as in in the last 20 years, technology has gone a hundredfold what it was in the year uh, 2000 when I graduated from high school. And I can't believe the world that we're living in, the year year and time that we are raising our kids in, or or how you guys are, are raising your kids or grandkids. Like, it is a crazy time, but Scripture speaks of this time, that in the end of days, that information will increase. Guys, we're in a point in time in which that if we're not holding true to this gospel, this is going to only get crazier in the world that we live in. And so there will be the desire to compromise this message. But Paul says if we compromise this message, if we listen to the conflicting voices, because there's voices telling us now like, oh, well, here's an easy way to grow the church. Or "Here's, here's a simple thing that you can do which will make things much more profitable or easier. But God says if we start taking away the fundamental truth, if we start listening to those voices, it will divide this house. If the dead are not raised, then Paul quotes them and says, let us eat, and this is here in verse 32, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. But that's not true. And that's why we can't live that way. Do not be misled, brothers, verse 33. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning, for there are some of you who are ignorant about God, and I say this to your shame. Here we see that this has happened in the Old Testament, it's happened in the New Testament, and and 2,000 years since the New Testament or thereabouts, and, and I would say we face these same situations today. We are in the exact same predicaments as they were, but I wonder what our answer will be as much as Rehoboam knew and as much as the church in Corinth knew, what now will be our decision here at Topeka first of of the voices that we are hearing, of the conflicting coaches of saying, this is the way we should go. I briefly have us go back to the Old Testament and see the response of the nation of Israel, see the response of Rehoboam. While we were in 1 Kings 12 earlier, it's paralleled in 2 Chronicles chapter 12. So please go to 2 Chronicles chapter 12. As it's paralleled there, 
beginning in verse 1. After Rehoboam's position as king was established and he had become strong, he and all Israel with him abandoned the law of the Lord. It started with one thing, and then it became all the things. Continuing on, it says, Because they had been unfaithful to the Lord, Shikshak, king of Egypt, attacked Jerusalem in the fifth year of King Rehoboam. In five years, he was gone. You know, I don't, I don't want to know what the assemblies of God or what Topeka first could look like five years from now if we make compromises like this. That's a terrible day. And remember that, that these are they, this isn't just an idea. These, these are people here. Verse 5 continues on. Then the prophet Shemaiah came to Rehoboam as the leaders of Judah and had them uh, assemble in Jerusalem for the fear of Shikshak. And, and he said to them, this is what the Lord says. You have abandoned me, therefore I will abandon you to Shikshak. Because of your decisions, when the hand of the Lord draws back, and now they're facing the consequences of that. The leaders of Israel and the king, Rehoboam, humbled himself and said, the Lord is just. You know, I'm really glad that this time he took the advice. However, the damage was already done. But even when he took the advice this time, because there's, a, there's, a, there's an idea that we could say, it's too late for me, it's too late for us, and it's like, no, 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 maybe there has already been damage done for, for the voices that we've listened to that have led us astray from God. But, but let's go ahead and do what is right now. Let's start what is right right now. Let's not continue on this path all the way down. Let's stop now. Let's humble ourselves and say, I've been listening to some voices that are leading me in the wrong direction. It says this in verse 7, When the Lord saw that they humbled themselves, the word of the Lord came to Shemaiah, Since they have humbled themselves, I will not destroy them, but will soon give them deliverance. My wrath will not be poured out on Jerusalem through, through Shikshak. They will, however, become subject to him so that they may learn the difference between serving me and serving the other kings of other lands. As this passage begins to draw to a close for us, I want us to come to a place in time of saying, I may have listened to other voices, but I want to make some good decisions now. But understanding that even if I make a good decision right now, saying what voice am I going to listen to, there may be consequences that remain. And those consequences are still meant to teach us and to help us for the rest of our days going forward. I can't promise any one of us in this room that if we make a declaration, God, I want to start listening to you and only you, that the rest of your day is going to go swimmingly. It might be a rough day, but I got to tell you that the Lord says there's deliverance coming, that this is not the end when we make these good decisions. Verse 12, because Rehoboam humbled himself, the Lord's anger turned from him and he was not totally destroyed. Indeed, there was some good in Judah. Today, may we start listening to the correct voices and may we come to a spot in time where we humble ourselves. And as we're humbling ourselves, recognizing that God can't, is not done yet had we made good decisions. 
I want to close with this verse as I prepare to have um, Pastor Michael come back up and the prayer team prepare themselves. It says this regarding King Rehoboam in verse 14. He did evil, King Rehoboam, because he did not set his heart on seeking the Lord. There's something to be said about intentionality as opposed to passively seeking the Lord. In this place, yes, it took intentionality to be here. I, I, I wholeheartedly get that because you could have, have been asleep, you could be mowing your lawn, you could be watching basketball games. There's other things that you could have been doing. But I have to also say that, that in some way, this is the processed food as much as there is meat and potatoes that could be had throughout the week of, of intentionally saying, I or you are going to seek God and, and spend time with Him and not just passively come here and let somebody else explain and interpret and apply the word of God, but, but you and I individually saying, I need to seek God and I need to find those individuals in my life who are going to help me to seek God. I need to have those voices, those coaches in my life, not ones that are just going to say, take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry, but instead the individuals who are going to press me in to something more, something deeper, so that I will lean on and I will intentionally seek the Lord. If we wanted to go back to the New Testament, I can tell you that it's not always good news when here we see King Rehoboam, he humbled himself, he learned from some of his mistakes. But if we wanted to go back to the New Testament, we were reading out of 1 Corinthians in chapter 15, but if we go to 2 Corinthians, in between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, Paul makes a visit to Corinth. And then we also see then again in 2 Corinthians that Paul is continuing to have to have some of the same conversations with the church in Corinth. And he says, you guys, the church in Corinth, you're, you're actually putting up with people who are making compromises. Like some of that itching ear gospel idea of what is, what is easy and simple and what most benefits me and makes it easiest and fun for me. And Paul's like, you're putting up with that. You see, as much as Rehoboam made a good decision, it's also possible for the message to be taught, but for us to still say, no, I, I'm not going to do that as, as the church in Corinth did. And so we find ourselves, I find myself in a place where I must now say, Lord, how do I respond to you? May I humble myself and may I surround myself where, as it was in 1 Corinthians, when, when Paul says to them, stand firm, hold true to this gospel message. Would you join me in prayer? And as, as Pastor Michael would like to come forward and or the, the prayer team, Heavenly Father, as we are gathered in this place, we know that there are voices speaking to us, whether it is through the radio or news or, or friends or family, that there are voices speaking to us that are not leading us to you, but are leading us to compromise. Father, I pray that through the conviction of the Holy Spirit, we would understand whose voices are whose, 
and that we would call upon you and seek you out, God, that we would stand upon the promises of Scripture rather than the promises of people. Heavenly Father, that in this place, God, Lord, we desire to know what is good and what is right and what is true and what will build your kingdom, not simply give me a life of cushion. Lord, teach us today. Teach us today to listen to your voice, to, to have our hearts set on seeking you. Lord, we even have an invitation tonight to seek you in praise. Lord, may there be refrains in our heart, the choruses that repeat over and over again of seeking you out and then of listening to you, of saying, God, what are you speaking to us so that we can choose you this day and serve you this day, that this church, this body of believers, Lord, we would not listen to the louder voices, but instead we would listen to the still small voice that says, this is the way, walk in it. Lord, you tell us in, 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 in the, the Gospel of John, chapter 12, that, that you are the shepherd and we are the sheep and we, we know your voice and we can hear your voice. And so, God, in this place, allow us to say, Lord, I want to hear you. I want to, to know what it's like for, for the ears of my heart to feel that. And Lord, even if you would speak to us in our ears, Jesus, so that we could physically hear you, God, may we, we say yes to you. Lord, do a miracle in this place and start with me, God, that I would say, Lord, I, I'm setting my heart on hearing you, not the voices of others. May I, may I learn from the mistakes of others. For, Lord, all these things have been written down that we might learn from them. Lord, teach me today. Help me today. I don't want my life to be conflicted because I'm listening to coaching from two different corners. Instead, God, may I be calling purely and simply on you. Lord, forgive us of our sins. Forgive us, Lord, of the times that we have listened to other voices when we have sought out what is easiest in our own mind. When, we have other, when we've even found others who, who would echo those things, but were not the wise voices. Lord, give us discernment. Having repented of those things, help us to take steps and actions and put things into place of saying, Lord, how can I hear from you and how can I have people who will coach me towards you on a regular basis? Surround me with those people, God. Help me through this body to not be passively engaged, but actively engaged of saying, how can I find somebody in this body who will pour into me, who will sharpen me like iron to get closer to you? Jesus, help us to do those things. May, may someone's face, may someone's name come to mind right now of saying, Lord, this individual, do you want me to go to them? 
how, Lord, give me the words because that may start as an awkward conversation, but Lord, may it result in the kingdom being built because I initiated a conversation that said, I need sharpening. Can you help? Lord, thank you. Thank you that your kingdom is being built through Topeka First Assembly as we hear your word as we put it into practice, and as we proclaim the name and the gospel message of Jesus Christ and it alone, for it is the power to save. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot direct ourselves. We need you. It's in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, that we proclaim these things, believe these things, and live these things. And all of God's people who agreed, would you join together by saying, Amen.